0: pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word in the life of Jesus that we're about to study. I pray that you will impact us uh, with your word in Jesus name. Amen. Well, Marty was a little boy uh, who lived out in the country and he and his mom were at church on Easter Sunday and he bumped his mom and said, can we go now? His mom said, no, it's not. The service isn't over yet. Well, I think I'm about to throw up, Marty announced. Well, then go out the the front door and around the back of the church and throw up in a bush. Compassionate mother, right? <laughs> <laughs> just go deal with it. Anyways, but he came back like in just a, a, less than 30, 50 seconds and she said, did you throw up? Yeah. Well, how could you have gone all the way to the back of the church and returned so quickly, as mom said? He said, I didn't have to go out of the church, mom. They have a box next to the front door that says, for the sick. <laughs> 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 oh. Gotta love kids. Yeah. Anyways, okay. Uh, one, uh, one only has to look at our entertainment industry to realize that there's a great interest in the very dark, unseen things of the supernatural world. As believers in Jesus who look to the scripture as our final authority, that is where we will find truth about the devil and his army of demons that do his will. And inflicts so much pain and so much suffering on on individual people on this planet. As you know, the original name for Satan was Lucifer, which means shining, uh, shining one. In Ezekiel 28, he's referred to as the anointed cherub. A special position of authority that he once held. He was covered with precious stones and had the seal of perfection and wisdom and beauty. But the sin of pride caused him to lift up his heart against God. He led a rebellion, and as you know, a third of the holy angels followed him. How convincing he was. In the presence of God to convince a third of the angelic hosts to follow him. Amazing. Our study today has to do with the helpers of Satan, as Jesus has an encounter with a large amount of them. And from this passage, we learn a great deal about demons and their activities. However, the point, really, of the first 20 verses of this chapter demonstrates the authority that Jesus has Over Satan and the supernatural dark world. During the night, the disciples had experienced the authority of Jesus over the sea when he's calmed it with the word. And now they are arriving, it's morning, and they have gone to the other side of the sea. So we look at the condition of the demon possessed man in verses one through five. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes, and when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him and shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Well, after the grueling day of ministry, as you remember, Jesus got in the boat, fell fast asleep. The storm moved in. To, the water was taking, uh, coming into the boat. As they attempted to cross to the other side, the sea was raging, and he calmed the sea, and now he gets onto dry land, and he has a raging lunatic meet him. Upon stepping out of the boat, he's met by this man who lives in the tombs, and it was no ordinary man. This man lived among tombs or burial chambers cut out of the rocks or caves in the side of the hills. He was an outcast from the nearby town. He lived in the filthy caves with decaying corpses. From Luke, we are told he was naked. Uh, We also read that he had unbelievable super strength. He had been chained, but he had the power to break chains apart. No human could subdue him. Matthew tells us he was a violent man, making it impossible for people to even pass by the road. He was a restless man who cried out day and night, his screams echoing off the hills, no doubt bringing fear to anybody who would hear. I mean, wouldn't you be afraid? What if he's coming into town? You know, going to come into my house. He was also... inflict himself with wounds using sharp stones to gash his body. He would have been filled then with cuts, infected sores, oozing wounds, a horror to just look at. We clearly see from the description that the intent of Satan is to destroy and to degrade people. Demons are vicious to their victims as they cause self-destructive behavior. We know from Revelation 9, that they will torment mankind during the tribulation period when those who have been uh, in the bottomless pit are released and they will sting people with scorpion-like stings that will give them torture for months. Satan hates God and all that God has created in the image of God. He and his demons are out to destroy and ruin people. That is why there is such a rise in the world of the occult, new age thinking, drug abuse, pornography, sexual deviation, obesity, and on and on and on goes the list. The goal of Satan is to destroy your personality and everything in your life that reflects that you were made in the image of God. But what happens when these vile demons come face to face with their creator? Verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. for He had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So upon getting out of the boat, this shrieking naked man is running towards them. And he bows down before Jesus with this screaming voice, the voice of demons. And even though demons hate and despise Jesus, they are compelled to show him respect by bowing in his presence. They know he is the most high God is very likely this is the first time these demons saw Jesus and his humanity face to face. We know from James that demons believe and shudder because they understand the consequences of rejecting the authority of Jesus and they dread the judgment that they will face in hell. And some... uh, are in the place of the abyss, but these ones were free to, t- uh, to be tormenting people. This demon wants to remain free to torment others, doesn't want to be sent by Jesus into the abyss. And Jesus asked the demon his name. He certainly knew that name already. Jesus is showing his disciples that he has power and authority over Satan and his hosts. In answering the question, the response was, My name is Legion, because this man was possessed by militant multiple evil spirits legion the spokesman likely had charge over thousands of fallen and demons under his direction and this is why this man had such super strength there were thousands of demons coming and going from him and all these are looking at jesus from behind this man's eyes it becomes abundantly clear that this was a hopeless and impossible situation for this man that only god could overcome these demons I'm reminded just recently reading Psalm 103 that God has his holy angels. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word, in total contrast to these demons. Well, there's the request. He began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. They wanted to stay in the area known as the Decapolis. These were 10 Greek cities in the area. Very few Jewish people would have mingled here unless they totally rejected their Judaism. The fact that there are pigs feeding nearby makes it clear this is a Greek culture, as pigs were unclean to any law-keeping Jewish person. So, why did the demons ask to be sent into pigs, who then drove them off the cliff to their deaths? Well, we aren't told specifically why. Some suggest were, were they trying to instigate an attack against Jesus by the owners of the pigs who would come out in a rage? Well, let's focus on what we do know about this incident. First of all, demons are subject to the will of Christ and they take orders from him. The demons implored Jesus to send them into the herd of pigs and Jesus gave them permission and they left the man and they went straight into the pigs and they continued their destructive behavior on animals. The death of the pigs was imminent anyways because they were being raised to be slaughtered. This is not about whether it's right or wrong to eat a pig or kill a pig. But rather, it's about Christ's power over Satan. By all the pigs running off the cliff to their death, it was proof that the demons had left this man by the power of Jesus and had entered into those animals. No one could dispute what had just happened, what they saw. Greatly distressed, the herdsmen ran off to tell the people in the village what happened. They didn't want to be blamed for the death of the pigs that they were taking care of. And then you have this incredible transformation of the man Jesus healed. As everyone from the village is coming out to see what happened, they find this man, once their greatest fear, I'm sure the horror of everybody's nightmares, who once was possessed, sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had had this legion within him. Those who had seen it described how it happened, and they began to implore Jesus to leave. What a reaction. not a strange reaction? There was such a transformation that took place as Jesus conquered the demons. One does not have to be a demon-possessed person to be in the grips and the influence of this evil enemy of our soul, Satan. Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. You've observed his tactics with Eve from the very beginning. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't have your best interests. And he uses those same tactics to ensnare people today to bringing us lies of hopelessness, spiritual defeat. You'll never have victory over that. You'll continue to always be a loser. But no one is beyond hope with Jesus Christ and his power of the Holy Spirit to reside in us. He went to the other side, it says, Jesus did, to show his power over nature and his power over Satan and the hosts of demons. He is the only hope for every one of us as well. Sometimes Satan tactics cause us are, are very um, subtle. <laughs> this wasn't very subtle, this man. But we read in 2 Corinthians that he masquerades as an angel of light. And that way he comes in very subtly to churches and to his demons are there to present error, to cause division amongst believers. This healed man begged Jesus to take him with him as Jesus was getting back into the boat. He recognized That Jesus was all powerful and in immense gratitude, he longed to stay with Jesus. He was faced with the truth of the power of Jesus and he believed that Jesus was God. I love this book, Not by Sight. It's just short little chapters about different incidences in Scripture. And the author deals with this particular incident. And he says, with the demons gone, nothing he had ever experienced came close to the safety and the peace he felt simply being near Jesus. He had only known Jesus for a short time, but he had already determined to be Jesus' disciple for life. Life with him would be heaven on earth. But Jesus said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. The words return to your home must have made this man's heart sink. Home for him was not a place, a warm place of sentimental memories. Home was a place of memories so dark and full of pain that he likely just wanted to escape them and not go back. But sometimes following Jesus means being sent back to a place where we once knew desolation and indescribable anguish. The thought of returning there conjures up fear of our old demons and the people who knew us as we were back then. But Jesus sends us back because it is there that the grace of God in our lives will shine the brightest. What Jesus wants us to know is that his salvation and his protection extends to those old, horrible haunts. If he can break the death grip Satan once had on us and set us free, then he can redeem the places of our former slavery and make them showcases of God's omnipotent power. I thought that was very apropos for what we're looking at here. But what about the other people's reaction who saw the miracle? And the the aftermath, I mean, they're seeing this hands-on. They were there. Their reaction is to go away, Jesus. They did not want him to bring any more potential financial loss to their community. They rejected Jesus for the very same reasons people reject him today, right? They like their life how it is. They have no desire to have to turn from anything in their life and follow this Lord and anything that he would demand. They love their money, they love their sin, and they don't want to turn from that sin and embrace Jesus to be the Lord over their life. So Jesus honored their request. He got back in the boat. However, he didn't leave this region without the witness. What grace! Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. amazed. Jesus left a missionary behind to the Gentile community. What compassion Jesus had for the very people who rejected them. He didn't leave them with no hope. In his compassion, he still reaches out to people who want to send him away, as well as those who embrace the truth of who he is. As Mark continues showing Jesus as king over storms and over demons, the rest of the chapter shows his power over disease and over death. Verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again, went across back in the boat to, on the Sea of Galilee to the other side, the Jewish side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jarius came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her so that she will live and be well and live. Unlike the people on the other side who wanted Jesus to leave, these people welcomed him back and were waiting. Before Jesus begins his teaching ministry, though, he's approached by this religious leader of the local synagogue. He comes to Jesus, and you think about it, I suspect a lot of his peers were not pro-Jesus. You know, remember, the, the fight had already begun amongst the religious leaders in Jesus, but he didn't care. He is the father of his 12-year-old daughter who he loves. As any parent can imagine the desperate state of this man's heart, he didn't care what his coworkers thought about Jesus. He would do anything for the sake of his beloved daughter. How many people are like Jarius today? They find themselves in a desperate situation, having nowhere else to turn, and they run to, to the Lord. They come to Jesus not because I want to worship Jesus necessarily, but they come because they're desperate. God uses tragedies in this life to show people their need for him and ultimately their greater need for forgiveness of their sins and salvation. Jairus believed that Jesus could heal his daughter and Jesus began to follow him as he led the way back to his house. The text says there were so many people and they were all pressing in. So It was a massive crowd all gathered and pressing in on Jesus. They were there to see a miracle or to get one. And the crowd slowed down the travel time, obviously, and in the midst of this crowd, it was the perfect stage was set for this one woman who thought she could weave her way in unnoticed. Verse 25, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak for she thought, If I just touch his garments, I will get well. She really believed. This poor woman was desperate to get near Jesus for 12 horrific years, the age of the little girl that Jesus is on the way to see, 12 years. She had been bleeding, either from a tumor or some disease in her uterus that just caused continual bleeding. Many of you can relate to that at the time of menopause. (laughs) Not 12 years, but it seems like it, maybe. Physically she had to have been weak, emotionally drained, and socially an outcast because as you saw in your lesson Leviticus 15:19 made it clear she was ceremonially unclean. Therefore, she would be excluded from the synagogue and social contact with people. Besides all of this heartache, she had spent all of her money on doctors who no doubt inflicted her with ridiculous and painful and superstitious Uh, attempts to deal with her pain to no avail and as she touched his outer garment from behind hoping to be unnoticed and unseen she thought she wouldn't be noticed but apparently she was which makes me think she wasn't from this area I would think everyone would have cleared the way if they knew who she was (laughs) get away because if they touched her they'd be unclean too so a complete contrast in social status is Jarius leading the way the religious leader in the Uh, synagogue, and this poor, sick, unknown woman. Jesus had a heart, the same heart of compassion for both. He gave this woman the same concern and care he would give to someone like Jarius. What faith this woman had, she truly believed just touching his clothing would be sufficient for her healing. She didn't have a complete understanding of Jesus and who he was, yet Jesus still healed her we read that immediately her chronic condition was healed and she knew it by some type of physical sensation that she had. We learn from this incident that Jesus responds to faith, even if it is in perfect faith, even if it hasn't reached a point of clear understanding. Most of us understood very little theology when we came to Jesus for forgiveness for our sins. We understood who he was and that we were sinners and we put our faith in the object of, which is the person of jesus the issue is not how much faith we had but who it was we put our faith in While well, jesus brought her healing out into the open that was not her plan she wanted to slip away unnoticed jesus healed her with full knowledge and willingness to heal her not because of some superstitious effect on his clothing he was always conscious of his power and his power was always under his control when the disciples heard Jesus ask, who touched my garments? They were like, are you kidding? Uh, and they couldn't believe he'd asked such a thing with all these people bumping into him. But Jesus just ignored their comment and turned around and saw the woman in question. And we read in verse 33, but the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She feared because she had not asked permission to touch his garment. She feared because she was ceremonially unclean, and this was a rabbi, a teacher. Jesus didn't do this, calling her out to embarrass her. He spoke to her with such warmth and tenderness as he helps her faith to grow even more as to who he is. He calls her daughter, the only woman addressed this way by Jesus. She now has a new relationship with Jesus. In response to her faith, he made her well. More importantly, he made her a spiritual daughter. Jesus told her to go in peace and be healed of your affliction, assuring her she would never have this issue again. Jesus was not too busy to be interrupted, but rather saw further opportunity to have a ministry to an individual in this mass crowd following him. On his way to Jarius' daughter, who was 12, he stopped and made a woman who had suffered for 12 years His daughter in faith. This woman must have been filled with such incredible gratitude and joy, but poor Jarius, the clock is ticking. He must have been so anxious, like, I don't know if we're gonna make it. You've got to get going. And while he's speaking, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? What a crushing blow. The worst news possible. He had not gotten to Jesus in time. He believed Jesus could heal and it he would have healed his daughter, but he did not believe Jesus could bring her back from the dead. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, only keep on believing. Jesus told uh, this or J- Jesus told his father, Keep believing. Only now Jarius had to believe a lot more than that Jesus could just heal his daughter. Now he, Jesus saying, believe that I can bring her back. Talk about being put in a faith-stretching place. Jesus sometimes does that with us as well. He stretches our faith to have to trust him on one issue, and we're, we're troubled, and we bring it to him, and sometimes circumstances get worse and requires a newer level of faith to trust him. I mean, all of us have had those kinds of experiences and and struggle as the Lord grows our faith through illness, through disease, through his silence and things getting worse. And you have to trust him because he's good and he's wise. In the case of Jairus and the woman, Jesus was developing their faith in him as absolute king over every situation, whether it's the death or disease. So they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, the people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. As I'm sure you learned in your studies, you know, professional mourners, I guess they hung around sick people, so they're there right away. And that was the norm. Everyone would know of the death through the loud wailing and and sobbing that was happening by those who were the professional mourners. But Jesus tells them to stop their wailing because she's only sleeping. She wasn't dead in the ordinary sense that death was final, only in the sense that she would be reawakened to live again. Jesus then takes the father and the mother and his companions with him into the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, come, which means, translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astonished, and he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said something should be given her to eat. You see such warmth and tenderness here in Jesus as he speaks to her lifeless body and raises her from the dead. Her departed spirit returned to her because Jesus has authority over death. I remind you of the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. What a comfort to know that this same compassionate, caring Jesus is in control of your life and your death. Lord, I hate when I cry. (laughs) Over sickness and death. And sometimes he reveals, he chooses to heal. And other times his healing is bringing him into his presence. It goes both ways. So the question for each of us is who is your faith in? And what is your faith in? Have you come to him? Is he growing your faith? Doing that in my life. We are to live and we are to die so we glorify God in both ways. You know, when Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to have you die in a special way and you will glorify God in your death because he wants us to glorify him in our life and in our death. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are so good and wise. Even when we don't understand what you're doing. And when you keep stretching our faith to grow more and more. I thank you that you are loving and compassionate and gracious. And you never change. And you know what you're doing. I pray that we would walk by faith that we would be like this woman and really have incredible confidence and like this father and believe that you can do all things regardless of the thing that you're going to end up choosing to do. Help us to trust your heart of love. Amen.